Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrew and I'm here with Nick Hare, Peter Coghill and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing whether cold is worse than hot. So obviously this is a debate that's raging through the nation at the moment. Um, Nick, can you lead us in and tell us why we're talking about this? Uh, it was just something that occurred to me when I was in Iceland recently, um, last week. Uh, you know, it's deserves, it lives up to its name, certainly at this time of the year. Uh, it was pretty cold. Um, and I just, uh, they had, um, I went to this, I went to this place called the Blue Lagoon, which is basically a sort of volcanic pool uh, where you can go for a swim. And uh, the, the, at the head end of me, uh, it was like, there was a sort of icy blizzard. Um, but the rest of me was nice and nice and warm because I was, it was underwater. Um, and it just, you know, getting out uh, was horrible. Getting out into the, into the, the cold wind was, was, was really horrible. And I, and I just, you know, I had to think about, well, what, what is, why is cold? Cold is definitely not, it's different, quite different to hot. When, you, when you're too hot, it's, uh, it just, it doesn't feel at all the same as when you're too cold. There's something really uh, intrusive about the sensation of being cold. You cannot avoid it. You know, if you're too cold, you, it just takes over your entire uh, sort of reasoning. And, and all you think is, I just want to get warm. You can't think about anything. Whereas I, I sort of had this idea that being too hot uh never seems quite as bad as being too cold um uh that's it really i mean does does the is cold worse than hot and does the question even make sense okay well i can answer that question for you um so is is cold worse than hot no is the answer um and i think the the problem here is you've not been in cold enough places or hot enough places or most specifically you haven't been in hot enough places um what's the hottest place you've been I, I remember once being in, uh, I mean, this doesn't sound very impressive, but Seville, when I think the temperature outside was something like 50 degrees. It yeah, was no, bonkers. No, not hot enough. I, uh, I, I think I, I disagree with you, Fraser. I think. Well, uh, let me state my case and then okay, you come go back. Ahead, go ahead. So I have, actually, I've got personal experience of, of, of living in a very cold country and living in a very hot country. Um, so I've lived in Poland. Uh, where come the winter it was pretty cold uh, we're talking about minus sort of 25 30 something like that um, and I've also lived in Brazil and Qatar um, and I can't remember the temperatures there exactly except it was bloody hot okay um, and and one of the things you mentioned about cold being inescapable that's exactly how I felt about the heat okay and especially in somewhere in in i mean there is a difference between the heat in qatar and the heat in 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 um in brazil and in qatar well in, in brazil it's just like walking around in soup okay um and i just sort of lose the will to live or 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 really to to think either um and in Qatar, it's so hot that you you can't even sort of you can't even remember what thinking was like, you know. So um, you really can't escape it at all. So, um, however, what I will admit is that personally, I, um, I I do have trouble dealing with heat in general, which I should have thought about before moving to these countries. But that's another another point. So, uh, Peter, tell me, I'm wrong, am I? Well, you may have a personal preference for uh, a cooler climes. Maybe, maybe you're a, maybe you're a Pictish or Nordic of, of descent. I don't know. But um, 
I think uh, the 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 invasiveness of cold versus the invasiveness of hot that Nick's describing might have something to do with the 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 life threatening type of the the life threatening nature of cold. Cold is there. There are more places on Earth which are cold you can't survive in than there are hot places you can survive. As a species, I think we can go anywhere, and assuming that we're fed and watered, so you could live in the middle of the Sahara as people do, and and survive. Whereas uh, your 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 you 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 suffer more from a more ready kind of exposure if you try to do the same in 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 the Arctic. You just there's just there's fewer resources there um you, and you would you perish pretty quickly so i think i think it it strikes at the heart of uh the biology of our species that we are just designed to operate in warmer climes and the uh, colder climes are more threatening to us i i think what's rather than the you know whether an ambient temperature is is uh better higher or or lower i think it's worth thinking about um it, relative to our ability to to either dissipate or generate heat to make up the the deficit and keep our our body temperature uh, at the desired you know thirty seven degrees Celsius or uh, whatever yours happens to be um, and the the in, in those circumstances I think it is generally easier for us when we're sedentary to um, to find ways of dissipating the heat, uh, n- not through our body's mechanisms, but through uh, seeking shade, cooling ourselves down with water, etc., than it than it is to do so uh, to 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 generate um, heat and to make up the the, the deficit. Um, I mean, the you know there are only so many more clothes you can you can put on, uh, and um, uh, you know, the, the, it's it's sort of e- it, it just seems easier when you're in an environment to to dissipate heat than it does to to, to generate heat. So, in the debate, hot versus cold, uh, it seems that the answer is is that it's easier to make yourself more comfortable when it's hot than it is when it's cold. I think so, but but also, I mean, well, if I you... think within reason. I mean, if it was a thousand degrees, I mean, I'd still I'd probably rather be a bit chilly than have to go and live on the surface of the sun. Yeah, but but uh, but uh, always, but in terms always with this rational stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, in terms of um, if you if you can't actually so if you if your body is getting too hot and it's unable to cope with uh, dissipating enough heat and is is struggling to deal with that versus it um, g- getting too cold and and not being able to generate enough heat to keep our body temperature where where it is required to function. I don't think there's much difference in it there. So if you are forcibly cooled. Uh, to a to a certain extent, and if you are forcibly heated, um, effectively, uh, the the energetic cost of um, of of uh, losing heat versus the energetic cost of raising heat is not massively dis- dissimilar uh, because when you take into a f- f- account the the cardiovascular effect of having to uh, pump additional blood to the surface to cool to cool yourself off, and some of the other mechanisms that that we use to to cool our body. The energetic cost isn't isn't particularly different in terms of which is more lethal. Um, again, uh, you know, hypothermia and hyperthermia are there's not a great deal of difference between you know which is which is more likely to kill you. And in fact, actually, because of the 
the um, the heat generated by exercise often people are more susceptible to dying of of hyperthermia in a in a temperate climate than they are of of dying from from hypothermia in that in, in that climate um so so there's not much in it physiologically um i suppose the 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 question uh sort of remains of of which is which is less pleasant and i would argue uh that if if I had to die of hypothermia or hyperthermia, I would I would sooner die of of extreme you know exposure to extreme cold than extreme heat. I think it is a um, you know when you look at uh, um, Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, in at the end of the Titanic, you know that's that's a reasonably peaceful death. Far more I, I might add good than, solid than, scientific evidence. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Far more than he deserved after subjecting us well, to being, that. Being that. surrounded by all that, all all the other hundreds of people suffering and dying and screaming. And, yeah, that sounds very peaceful. Yeah, but no, I I, think I agree with Chris. I think uh, hypothermia is a, is a is a nicer way to die because actually don't people take all their clothes off? Yeah, before yes, they that's die. Right. As yeah. well. it's paradoxical yeah, undressing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I think possibly to speed the process. Maybe. But also, I think yeah. Oh, after a while, you just feel a bit sleepy. Yeah, and you go, oh, I'll have a nice sleep. I think. Whereas I think with hyperthermia, I think it's just um, you know disease excruciating kind of disorientation and so on. Uh, Peter, right well, to to move to move this on a yes, little let's. a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I think that we when we were talking about this off off air, I think we, we it strikes an interesting point about uh, public policy making and the choices that people make on other people's behalf. So. There is so there is no um, fundamental uh, objective measure of someone's happiness or the inverse, perhaps being suffering. So you can't work out whether this person who says this room is too cold uh, versus this room, this person who says this room is too hot, who is suffering most. So which way should you turn your thermostat? And this this is this is crucial because you, if if we had such a, a way of measuring the absolute happiness of people, then we'd have a means of maximising the absolute happiness of all people, uh, and use that as a basis for public policy, for tax expenditure, and all sorts of things. So, but that that that's a key point is we don't have that thing. It's not possible to measure. So we have to rely on on um very distant proxies for happiness and 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 logical arguments and ethical and moral arguments for uh for why we do make certain decisions um and and um and it often boils down to who's got the most money who's lobbying the hardest who's shouting the most for certain things that, and, that, and that's what's driving public policy rather than any kind of absolute objective measure but in but in terms well, no, sorry, of can, can yeah. I have nick please yeah i mean i just to um uh, just to sort of go into a bit more detail there, the kind of economic, the economic efficiency uh, argument would be this, that you would, so so what you would, what you would be doing is putting, you know, so you've got five people in a room, you would effectively uh, sell the temperature to them. So, you know, you, they would be bidding on wanting to make the temperature go up and down. Um, and uh, yes, that would, so the person who had the most money would probably end up, um, you know, having the temperature closest to what they wanted. But the uh, the efficiency argument is that, well, in a market, so if you have a market for what the temperature should be um, and some efficient way of clearing that market, uh, the people who end up in a room that's too cold are being compensated um, at the value that they place on not being on on you know being 
being too cold. So so if you know if you if Peter pays me twenty pounds, you've got loads of money. He pays me twenty pounds to put the temperature down by a degree, but to me that's only worth ten pounds. That's fine. I'm better off. So I'm ten pounds worse off because the temperature is colder than I'd like, but I'm twenty pounds better off because Peter's had to pay me uh, to get it down there. The the um so that's the you know that's but the but the thing is that we um that the the problem is that you there is no there is still no objective scale we tend to use money because it stands it is a really good proxy because with money you can get whatever it is you want so actually you know it's not the 20 pounds it is indeed the jumper or whatever it is i'm going to buy with the jumper that i'm being compensated whatever i'm going to buy with 20 pounds that i'm being compensated for so that could be anything we don't have to specify what it is it's just 20 pounds of whatever the thing is that i want the most um but uh, but it is still there is still uh, we are using effectively relative prices. I mean, it's how much. So so we don't know, for example, well, maybe I'm really not materialist and I don't value money very much at all. And and actually, um, uh, you know, there may be other things that I uh, would be willing to sacrifice, but I can't because they're not transferable or, you know, uh, the, the so the problem is that we even in a market sort of set up, we're still ex- we're, we're still effectively talking about the relative prices. Um you know, it might be that I uh, I really, really, you know, love money or, or whatever it is. I really love the things you can buy with money um, much more, uh, you know, than someone else. And so £10 to me is going to be worth more than £10 to that other person. And we just have no means. It's not even clear whether, the, whether talking about that, the idea that there is some objective level of happiness that someone's at, only we can't measure it, whether that even makes sense itself. But it is, as Peter says, it's fundamental to public policy making because we have to we have to decide how we're going to allocate you know these sort of public goods how, how much street lighting do we need how clean do we want the streets to be you know how uh, how much pollution are we going to tolerate um all of those sorts of questions which which uh, you know involve um a p- sort of public commons and we have to make common rules about it um it's a question i want to ask but no peter uh, chris you go ahead um well i was, I was just going to say i think i think we we probably do rationally plan things like temperature because it's obviously it's obviously set for you know say government buildings or you know large organization and i think the way they tend to do that is to pick the uh mean perceived ideal temperature and and hope that that um you know perception of ideal heat is is normally distributed and that you you effectively you know, are are least far away from the most number of people's ideal ideal temperature, and therefore suffering is 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 reduced as much. But what as if there's one dude who really, you know, really loves being cold, and a bunch of other people who don't really care that much? That's and, the problem. And also, that guy who really cares is really vocal about it and really pushes it. I mean, I, I've had first-hand experience of of this. I mean, I used to work in an office and. Uh, there was, the office was about eight people, most of whom were men. Uh, there was two, a couple of women who worked in the office. One woman, woman in particular, she was kind of a, a pale, slight, like slightly sickly kind of person, always always ill. Um, and she had she 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 would always complain that the room was too cold, and she would wear you know she'd put jumpers and scarves and hats on all day, even in the height of summer. And everybody else in the office would complain that the room was too hot. So there was this this exact problem was was being manifest. Now it could be that her suffering caused by it being too cold for her 
outweighed all of the the suffering that we had that it was too hot you know we you know if we could measure it somehow we could say that oh, well it, it, this on the scale of nastiness the hotness is one point for each person whereas for her it's 20 points that would far outweigh and we should put the we should put the temperature up so um that, that and that's the that, that's that's really the point that, that we can't measure how the the absolute happiness level of of people and the 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 the, the, the market system gives us sort of a useful proxy but it's based on this assumption that people are good at valuing the the, the the assets and the money and they do so equally and there's a secondary value there as well then you have to make a decision about to what extent this um person um complaining all the time and how much that annoys you and how much that stops you from doing your work and a trade-off between that and a compromise with the temperature going all right well we'll sort of turn it up a bit um and that'll just sort of you know keep me you know that will keep stop you from being so annoyed. I guess. I know this is something. I mean, I, it's not temperature, but uh, uh, sort of optimal tidiness levels, which um, you know it have caused the most domestic problems. You know, when I've shared flats with people, uh, it is the the question of you know. It, but essentially, what what tends to happen is that the people who uh, who care most about about uh you know let's say the bathroom bathroom being cleaned a lot tend to always be the ones ending up doing it because they notice first and they more they're more motivated to do something about it and so that ends up with them you know let's say doing cleaning the bathroom nearly all the time um and the question is what is an equitable arrangement there you know is is an equitable arrangement going to be where um we split it and you know i i clean the bathroom 50 percent of the time even though i don't think it needs doing because i've got a higher tolerance for for dirt and mess um you know what is a fair way of doing that um and because i'm an economist i've always in those sorts of situations suggested auctioning the uh the, the household tasks and effectively you know saying well yeah i don't mind i'll pay you you know i'll pay you five quid to uh clean the bathroom but then people flatmates tend to see themselves as being transformed into some kind of skivvy and and resist that and there's this uh there's this kind of desire to have in inverted commas a fair fair outcome you know where where you split tasks evenly um, and I think that's what you know. Chris is talking about with the, the the sort of fairness algorithm. Pick the average of of what people want the temperature to be. But then that neglect that's you know really making an assumption, of, which is the point at issue, which is that are the people who then find themselves too cold as a result are they in some sense worse off than the people who find themselves a bit too hot? Um, I, and I think I've I think I've come to the conclusion that I'm not sure the question makes sense. I'm not sure it makes sense to talk about the idea of absolute levels of whatever we mean by happiness um i i think actually even internally we can only really think about it in terms of in terms of some sort of trade-off what price does this absolute level of happiness come at you know what would what else would i be willing to give up or um you know in, in order to to achieve a slightly in this case higher temperature it's another one of those examples where it just makes me want to sort of give up and go home where it's just an imperfect world and and human existence is by nature suffering and we just have to deal with that. Or is there a perfect place out there, bringing it back to our example, is there a perfect place to live out there sort of on a sort of a sort of a mountain overlooking the Mediterranean with a pleasant breeze and a nice sunshine? And uh, there is some sort of public policy utopia out there where, yeah, where in fact there is a no there is a no need for civil servants because everything runs nicely. Yeah, there well, first of all, there is a there is a kind of very not very well. Centre parks. There is a. um. 
There, there is a, an economic concept which is sometimes used to analyze uh, these sort of public policy issues, which is Pareto optimality, um, which is essentially if we could make someone better off without making someone else worse off, we should do that, right? But that's not very restrictive. I mean, it's a, it's a situation where I've got a million eggs and you guys don't have any eggs. Um, that's Pareto optimal because you guys can't have more eggs without me having fewer eggs. Um, you know, so, so so that's that's Pareto optimal, but it doesn't seem like a particularly fair outcome. Um, so Pareto optimality doesn't usually get you very far. Um, uh, but I think the the idea is that actually, uh, you, you know, te- technological improvements, um, which enable people to, uh, you know, personalize their own environment better are are going to enable more optimal outcomes so you know if if we have if you were able to have your own personal microclimate you know special clothes that that change the temperature you're experiencing um that's uh it's very much like you know when we used to have um we, we used to have uh uh you know t- tv that you know everyone everyone got the same tv uh, service because you couldn't stop people from receiving the TV. The BBC had to decide what everyone needed to watch at seven o'clock, and um, that was it. You know, that was a really sort of public policy problem, which has largely been solved now by the existence of, you know, of pay pay per view TV, uh, which means that now we can end up with, you know, you end up with better funded arts mm. channels and things because the people who who want that can pay for it. Well, you used the example, actually, I was about to say, but there are social um, knock-ons from this which are not necessarily positive. So one of the, uh, and I think I tend to agree this, one of the wonderful things about only having two channels to choose from is there's a kind of a national experience of something, unlike this more compartmentalised life that is increasingly carved out for everyone where there's a less sense of community um, and we will become too much more selfish, I would say. Um, Yeah, I also think that... uh, there's something um there's something desirable about being about not about not having choice so when when you go to the kind of restaurant where they simply serve you whatever it is they they serve you their specialities and that's it take it take it or leave it and that can be a very enjoyable experience and there's there's also the removal of of sort of serendipitous experience of somebody has imposed something on you suddenly you find out oh actually I really like the room being 12 degrees you know I I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have experienced that otherwise and uh, I can see the see the place at this um so I I I think there's a need to this this more um you know personalized delivery of services uh but but thinking about ways of maintaining um some element of it which is outside of your control and allows you to experience things which you haven't directly chosen yourself personal preference thing gives you the option because like there are personality types and i know a few who who even though they enjoy the serendipitous moment of trying something new they enjoy it less because they know there was still a risk that they didn't they might not have enjoyed it and they they would rather just stay at home and do the same thing and and stay in the bubble. Uh, so being able being able to give them uh, their own bio suit that maintained their temperature, or even less complicated things like 
let them work from home and give them a give them a laptop and be able to dial into network systems or have two rooms and split the office into two rooms one hot one cold um just very simple technological um solutions gives would give people the option to choose whether or not to be risk takers and go uh, non a la carte and go 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 and stay in a nice hotel to try out living in cold well i mean as this of the solution i think you're hinting at what you want to say here but you haven't quite said it is that you're looking forward to the day when we can all download our brains into a supercomputer and not worry about this what do you mean looking forward i've already started (laughs) (laughs) and and um you just got alexa or whatever her name is looking after your whims and uh yeah you don't have to worry about whether your body's cold or not because it just kind of automatically happens well you haven't got a body anymore yeah you don't got a body body to worry about okay so i don't have we answered this question is cold but i mean obviously nick's wrong right um the cold is uh worse than hot right and i I think we've definitively answered that you've been listening to the the cognitive engineering podcast i'm fraser mcgrew i've been here with nick Hare, peter coghill and chris rag thank you very much for listening until next time bye bye Mm -hmm.